Welcome to Genesis. Welcome to this unlikely Advent season, the season where we're looking at unlikely people who got to experience unlikely things. And um, as the louders just pointed out, that we have been talking about hope, we've been talking about peace, and now we're talking about joy. And if you remember two weeks ago, we looked at Mary, who got a really unlikely message that she, a virgin, was going to have a baby, and the hope that she had in that. And because she had hope, now we can experience the hope of of being uh, loved by her son. And then we look at Joseph, the unlikely man who had peace, even in this hard circumstances of his life. And we think, wow, because he had peace, now we get to experience peace through Jesus. And as we think about those two topics, we realize that what we've really learned is that Mary didn't have hope and Joseph didn't have peace, but God gave them that. It wasn't in them. It was something that God gave to them. See, God brings us hope and God brings us peace and has nothing to do with our circumstances. It's a gift of God. Now, this week we're going to be looking at joy, and joy is the exact same thing. It's, it's happiness in spite of our circumstances. It doesn't always have to match up with our circumstances. In fact, a lot of times our circumstances are going to look pretty hard. For me, this week was, was a pretty hard week. I'm going through finals. I burnt my hand on the oven. Uh, Duke lost. It was, it was, it was a tough week. But joy is not bound up in my circumstances. Joy is bound up in the God who transcends my circumstances and your circumstances. And we can have joy because of God. Now today we're going to be looking at these simple shepherds. They, were, they had joy because of the message that they heard. And that message caused them to go looking for Jesus and to find him. And once they found him, that joy overflowed and spilled out into everyone else around them. And that's really the three things we're going to be looking at. Now, let me ask you, is, is that... A great way to begin our message today, a message about joy. When we think about all of the circumstances that we face and all of the trials that we have, and and today we're going to be talking about joy, that's great news. If you're in school like me, you just went through a season of finals where you stay up late, you eat really bad food, you study as much as you can, and that's, I'm going to tell you, that's not joyful. Maybe you're at your job and it's the end of the year and you've got a lot of pressure from your boss to perform and get everything done before the holidays and that can not be so joyful. Maybe you're in a relationship that's hard and, or a family that stresses you out or maybe the most unjoyful thing you can think about today is spending time with your family during Christmas. <laughs> maybe you're in between jobs. You don't know where your paycheck's going to come from. Maybe you're struggling with a, with a sin or a, or a belief about yourself that's just untrue? You see, the truth about Christmas, the truth about Advent, is that our joy is not bound up in our circumstances. It's bound up in the God who transcends our circumstances. And if you're not feeling like you're a likely person today, then I've got the best news in the world for you. I've got the absolute best news because joy doesn't come from your circumstances. It comes from God. God brings it to unlikely people. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty unlikely, so that's good news. Now, if you will, turn with me to Luke 2, 8 through 10. You've heard these verses a couple of times today, but we're really going to try to dig in to just how unlikely this whole thing really was. So it's going to be Luke 2, 8 through 20, and we're just going to start with verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. <laughs> now, the first thing that I notice about this passage is that God reveals himself to the most unlikely people. These shepherds, now, 
we tend to overly romanticize them, right? They had nice, long, flowing hair. They played their harps. They snuggled with cuddly white sheep. (laughs) That's what the children's stories say. But that just wasn't true. These were burly-type men. They, They fought mountain lions. I didn't know mountain lions were indigenous to Israel. I found that out. They fought wolves that were coming in to try to take their sheep. These were tough guys. They were powerful, but not powerful like you would expect. See, they didn't hang out with powerful people in Jerusalem. They didn't lead the brightest and the smartest people. They led the dumbest animals probably on earth. And I don't mean to be hard on sheep, but they require a lot of attention. (laughs) Then God says, the Lord is my shepherd, and I'm the sheep. Hmm. If ever there was truth spoken. (laughs) These men were not honored. These men were not well-dressed. They didn't get invited to the social clubs in Jerusalem or the parties. They worked outside their whole life. They slept outside. And probably they didn't take a, a bath very often. Now, I identify with this, but let me explain why. Before you get scared, let me explain why. When I got deployed to Iraq, it was in the very beginning of the war. Um, American forces were in Baghdad, and that was as far north as Americans had been, at least in a military operation. So when we came in, we were tasked with the job of moving the American forces north up to a place called Kirkuk, which is near Iran. And we were the first people to go there, as far as I know. We didn't have a lot of resources, though. You can imagine the Iraqis just weren't bending over backwards to give us things. So what we had was what we packed, and we didn't have a phone call probably for the first two months. I remember when I tried to make a phone call, it was very, very hard. I spent two hours trying to get through for about 15 seconds of phone call. We didn't have a real bed to lay in. We had a very hard cot. I worked the night shift, so I slept in the 145-degree heat. That was how I slept. Most of us slept in our clothing, and there's two main reasons for that, as weird as that sounds. Number one, there's this thing called camel spiders. You don't want to meet a camel spider. They run like 15 miles an hour, and they're, they're pretty bad. So my little white legs were covered up the whole time with my socks covering up my pants and with something wrapped around it so that nothing could get inside of that. But the other reason that most of us slept in our clothing is because you just never know when an explosion was going to happen, and you had to jump out of your cot quickly. A lot of us slept with our boots on. Because we just didn't know what we were prepared for. So, again, we, um, we went to bed ready. I guess that is what you could say. Now, the craziest part about my time in Iraq, I'm going to share this with you, so you can judge me if you want. But this is my craziest story. It's that for the first 40 days when I was there, I did not have a shower. I wanted one. I'm not that guy. We didn't have running water. We didn't have water to spare. The only water we had was the water that we needed to drink. And again, it was 145 degrees. At least that's what our thermometer said. So we're constantly using that water for for drinking purposes. The Euphrates River was close by, but it's dirty. And it was just outside of our camp. So you need to take a risk of getting shot just to go take a dip. But even more crazy than that, as if that weren't bad enough... After the first, like, 10 days, I didn't even realize that I stunk. I had become so used to myself 
that I did not even realize that I was smelling. I didn't realize the people around me were smelling. If you would have walked up, you would have realized it. But we had become used to it. And then after a little while, 30-some days after that, I finally got my first shower. And it was just like the heavens opened up. It was the best shower ever. You know, like Handel's Messiah is playing in the background. (laughs) I'm not going to sing it for you. And it was funny. After that first shower that was glorious, the very next day, I realized I needed another shower. And I'm like, how is this possible when I just spent 40 days without a shower, didn't realize that I was stinking, but now after this first shower, now I know that I need to take a shower again. What's up with that? And I realized that you can be in a situation for so long that you lose your objectivity. You can be in a bad situation for so long that you don't even realize it stinks anymore. I think I'm going somewhere with this. I think these shepherds felt a lot like that. They hadn't had a shower for so long, they didn't realize that they smelled a high heaven. They had been alone for so long that they didn't realize that they were lonely. They didn't realize they needed another person in their life. It's just them and the sheep. They probably didn't have any guests stop by, so it's pretty good, a pretty good indication they didn't change their clothes very often. They didn't shave. They didn't fix their hair. They didn't put on their first century makeup. That's a joke. (laughs) They lived not expecting anyone to show up. Now, what about us? I hope that you've never had the pleasure of going through 40 days without a shower. I hope that you've never had to go through that. But have you ever been in a, a situation that you were in for so long that you didn't even realize it stunk anymore? Have you ever been in a situation that was so bad you didn't realize that it was robbing you of your joy? Or a relationship maybe that was sucking the life out of you but you didn't know it? You'd been there too long. You ever been involved in maybe a sin or a wrong belief about yourself for so long that you really started believing it? You started making excuses for it. You see, I think this is what these shepherds were actually feeling. They were telling themselves that life is better to be alone. No one's going to come visit me and I'm okay. See, these were really, really unlikely people for angels to show up to. But you might ask, at least they had a relationship with God, right? David was a shepherd. Some other people were shepherds. God said that he's our shepherd. So, I mean, there's a connection there, right? It's, here's some religious language there. David was a good guy. Well, the problem with these guys is, is that they were dirty physically, but yet some of the things that they came in contact to rendered them unclean. So it's likely that they were raising the very sheep that were going to be sacrificed in the temple, but because of that, they couldn't go in themselves. It's ironic that here we are, these people raising the sheep that would cleanse someone else, but yet they're on the outside uncleansed. These were very, very unlikely people. Day in, day out, exact same thing, monotony. But the truth that we're talking about today is that God reveals himself to the most unlikely people. If there was anybody who wasn't expecting a guest, it was these guys. But look, let's look what happens. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I love when the Bible says that. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, 
In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts, that's like an army of angels, appeared with that angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. This teaches me that God brings joy to unlikely people. Can you imagine these shepherds? Like, look, Mr. Angel, you've got it all wrong. I'm not the guy. Maybe you're looking at Zedekiah's field down the street. Maybe that's the shepherd you're wanting. I'm not, I'm not used to hearing good news. I'm not the guy that good news happens to. I'm used to everything happening bad in my life. And maybe you've got the wrong guy, but I love what the angel says. The angel says that this is good news, that it's great joy, and it's for all people. The angel didn't say it's for some people. The angel didn't say, hey, look, I need you to carry this message to Jerusalem to tell the real good people. He said it's for all people, and that means you. That means you, the most unlikely people of them all. Now, I ask myself sometimes, how did this message bring joy to the shepherds? Any of you know shepherds are out in the field, they've got their worries, and they've got their cares, and they've got the sheep... Now, how does a little baby in a manger, which is a feeding trough, how does that bring joy to these shepherds? And there's a couple things I discovered I want to share with you. Number one, the word good news. You guys ready for some Greek? Okay. The word good news is pronounced euangelizo. You want to say it with me? So much better than I was my first day of class. Euangelizo is not a Christian word. It's not a religious word. It's a word that came out of the pagan Roman Empire, and it does mean to announce good news. But the way this played out was is that the Caesar would send heralds out throughout all the empire announcing whatever he deemed was good news. So Caesar's birthday came up. Go tell the world, good news, it's my birthday. His son was born or his daughter was born. Go tell the world, good news. The Caesar that was alive at this point was Caesar Augustus. And you know what he did? He actually believed he was God. He actually believed and called himself the savior of the world. He actually believed that he was the son of the gods. He actually believed that he was divine. So that when these shepherds heard that message, it was a striking parallel. Here, rich and powerful Caesar, claiming to be God, set against the little boy, the real Son of God, born in a manger. Herod, or not Herod, Caesar Augustus in his palace, Jesus in a feeding trough. Caesar rich, Jesus poor. Caesar powerful, Jesus powerless. The irony could not be more striking, but yet the shepherds heard this is good news. They had probably been out in the fields when those heralds came by saying, Caesar is God. And they knew enough about God to be like, no, he's not. But yet, when they heard this message, it gave them such joy because they knew that the real son of God had been born. The second thing that I'm thinking maybe would have given them hope is maybe they remembered a passage in Zechariah. It's a prophecy a couple hundred years before Jesus was born. And I wonder if maybe they remembered this as they were, you know, out in the fields. It says, on that day, a fountain will be opened up to the house of David. It's an ancestor of David. That's Jesus. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sin. 
Here you have shepherds that have spent their whole life unclean. They've spent their whole life separated from God. And yet now they've got a passage saying that someone from the tribe of David, some ancestor of David is going to come and cleanse them. All of their frustration from being separated from God, from being disassociated with the temple is now over because this incredible news of Jesus being born has happened. What's even cooler about this is that inside the holiest place of the temple, there was these angels that stood guarding the presence of God. It was a very strong picture of the angels in the Garden of Eden guarding with the flaming swords. But what what happens this night is that the angels from God, armies and armies of angels come delivering the message that Jesus Christ is born. They got something better than the temple. They got the real angels, not the statues, coming and delivering them this message. And how interesting is it that Caesar sent out his little heralds to the world? God sent an army of angels to announce his son. It's beautiful. This message was first delivered to outsiders, to powerless people, to people who no one else thought mattered. To them, God came. They had never been invited to a party, and the only people that we know that were invited to Jesus' birth were these guys. This didn't happen in the courts of kings. It happened in the fields. See, this teaches me that Jesus doesn't show up in the likely places. He shows up in the unlikely places. He doesn't bring joy to likely people. The likely people were the ones that he criticized the hardest, the religious people. But the people who are unlikely, those are the people who got to see and taste the kingdom of God. See, joy does not come to us because of our situation, because of our circumstances, because of our rank, our money, our power, or anything else. Joy comes to us from God. And it's his gift. There's nothing we can do to earn that joy. Now today, if you're feeling like the most unlikely person, if you've got a weight that's been holding you down or an insecurity or just a feeling like, God could never use me. (laughs) This message is for you. This message is for unlikely people. This message is for the ragtag group of people that Jesus, or the angels came and told of Jesus' birth. That's like us. We don't have to have it all figured out. We can be a mess. And that's okay. God can use us. I am living proof. I heard a pastor say this one time, and I love this illustration, so I'm applying it to myself, but it wasn't my idea. He said about 30 years ago, God was looking down from heaven, and he was like, you know, I want somebody who's really stupid, somebody who's really dumb, who if they do anything good at all, I'm going to get the glory. Kendall! (laughs) And that's okay. I don't have to have it all figured out, because he does. Joy comes from him, not from my circumstances. That's good news, right? That's good news right now for us, wherever we're at. That Jesus Christ was born. That he was born for you. That his little kingdom started in an in a in a animal stall. And it grew and it grew and it grew until it overtook the Roman Empire. Now it's 2 billion strong. More than 10,000 people a day, I've heard, get saved in China. Some days maybe 9,000. It's a pretty big deal. That his kingdom is reigning and it's in power. His kingdom, when it came to life in your heart, brought you from death to life and now it's growing in you. 
It's growing all over the world. This is good news. Jesus Christ did not just come to be born. He came to be born to die. And that is the good news for us, that he cares about us in our circumstances, that he comes down to us where we're at, and there's no place he wouldn't come to because look at where he came to. He came to the most unlikely people. So if you're feeling guilty, if you're feeling weighed down, if you're feeling like the weight of the world is on you, let it go. Because Jesus came to take away that guilt. He came to bear your burden. If you're feeling like frustrated when you turn on the news or, or aggravated that the world is such a terrible, messed up place, we've got good news. The angels heralded it that Jesus' kingdom has begun and it will continue until all evil is completely abolished. That is good news. When someone hurts us, we can look to Jesus Christ who took the hurt that we deserved so that we, have, we would not have to feel that hurt. When we're tempted, we see a Lord and Savior who triumphed. When we're down, we know Jesus came to lift us back up again. Is this good news? Yeah. This is great news. And it's for our great joy, and it's for unlikely people like us. Now, joy also requires a response. See, joy can't actually exist if you hold on to it. It requires you to do something with it. Turn with me as we look at what the shepherds did. It's going to be verse 15. It says, When the angel had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that had happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. It means they went immediately and they found Mary and Joseph, who was lying in a manger. Now, this tells me that joy requires an unlikely response. See, they didn't stay in the fields celebrating where they were. They couldn't even think of doing that. They left and immediately went to find Jesus. They didn't let their past failures define them or their fears inhibit them. They didn't let their clothing or their smell or their social status or anything else keep them. What I think is fascinating is that they left their sheep. That's a real tangible thing that they left behind. I've heard of shepherds leaving 99 sheep to find the one. I've never heard of them leaving all of them. And as somebody was telling me in between services, that when they left those sheep, it was actually the moment of greatest freedom. Because if you're at work and you're at your job and you've got all this stress and it's binding you up and you let it go, it's freedom. All that tension is released. It's kind of like lifting weights. It's beautiful. Letting go actually can be the scariest thing, and it actually is the most wonderful thing for you. And this is what they did. They left their sheep out in the fields, and they went to see this king that had been born. See, they had an encounter with God. Their hearts were overjoyed, and they were going to do whatever it took to find him. Now, for us today, this message is the same. We haven't been visited by angels, but we have the record of the good news, and it is good news. And it still requires a response. So I want to say, I want this message to fill you up. I want you to say, whatever my hurts are, whatever my pains are, whatever thing that's been weighing me down, Jesus has got it. He came. He came and he's got it. That's the first thing I want you to do. Second thing is I want you to let yourself get excited. Let it, let it stir you up inside of you. It doesn't have to be based on your circumstances. I rarely ever have a great circumstance Things are crazy in my house. Things are crazy at, at my school. Things are crazy all over the place. But that doesn't mean I can't get excited and joyful about what Jesus Christ has done. 
And that doesn't mean you can't either. So as you're getting excited, think about what does that response look like for you? What does it mean for you to go looking for Jesus? We can look for Jesus in our circumstances. We can look at the things that he's allowed us to go through in our life and see how he had a plan and he had a purpose for every single thing that we went through. We can find him in our circumstances. The Bible says we can find him in the scriptures. It says the whole Bible's all about him. At the end of his ministry, he grabbed his disciples together and showed them, the whole Bible's about me, guys. You missed it. But hey, don't worry about it. It's all about me. Read it. <laughs> Do you know you can find him there? You can. It's a promise. You can pray and you can ask for more of him. You can literally say, God, I don't have this figured out. I need more of you. And he's faithful to answer that prayer. I've prayed that prayer so many times. Do you know you could, you could pray that way? It's awesome. You can worship him and experience him. Have you ever watched you know, a basketball game or football game when they score a touchdown? You're like, yes! What would it look like if all of us were that jazzed up about worship? That it caused us to have something happen inside of us. We were like, I can't contain myself. The last thing I want to share is joy. When it comes, it requires a response. And that response means that you cannot do anything but share it. You have to share joy. It's just, it's just the way that it works. My wife, she's an amazing cook. One of my good problems that I have. <laughs> and I know that when I'm working on an assignment and I'm tired and I'm, my brain is dead, I know when she's working in the kitchen something good's coming because she can't help herself. When she tastes it and tastes how good it is, she's like, oh, i got to share this. And I'm, then I get to share in that joy. I get to taste all of her creations, and they're wonderful. Here's another example for all you Star Wars fans out there. You are seriously sharing some joy. I've never seen Star Wars. I was told in seminary not to tell that. No congregation will ever take you seriously again. But I probably still won't see it. It's, it's good to not have seen something that everyone else has seen. I feel unique. But you make me want to. All of your joy and all of your passion makes me want to. Augustine said it like this, when large numbers of people share their joy in common, the happiness of each is greater because each adds fuel to the other's flame. And what would it look like if we here at Genesis maybe just start as a little small spark, but because friction that other, because we're rubbing up against each other, that friction, that heat, that flame, we could set all of Massachusetts on fire. And it could start right here. Let's look at the, what the disciples do next. Verse 17, it says, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning him. What had been told about this child? And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and that they had seen which were just as they had been told. This tells me that joy causes unlikely people to do unlikely things. As soon as the shepherds saw this child, they couldn't help but run away telling everyone about it. They didn't stay in looking at him. I, I think I would have. I've, I, I love little babies. I just want to cuddle with them. 
But they couldn't stay there. Their joy was propelling them out the door as soon as they saw it. They knew that the angel's message was true. They had confirmation. And they went running out everywhere telling them, hey, the good news. Jesus Christ is born. Now, what does that look like for us? Because I'm not telling you to run out of here and go screaming at people and telling them about the gospel. Because that probably, in our society, is not going to look, it's going to look a little weird. But the response is still there. So what does it look like for us? How do we show joy to the world? What if we just acted like this was the greatest news we'd ever heard? What if every day looked like we just won the lottery? What if it affected us so deeply that we just wore a smile on our face every day because we couldn't contain ourselves? What would it mean if somebody cuts me off and I'm not frustrated about it? What would it mean if somebody's behind me in the Dunkin' Donuts line and I just I buy their food just because? You see, one random act of kindness at a time, we can show a dead world what it means to be alive in Christ. And I think that even the six, seven hundred people who are here could shake New England to the core if we just did one random act of kindness at a time, that we demonstrate, that we show what Jesus Christ has meant to us. No one has to deserve it. We didn't deserve it. That's not the point. The point is that joy comes from God and that he gave it to us. And not so that we could sit on that joy, that that joy could come just to us, but so that joy could come through us. What's that look like for you? It doesn't have to be one of the examples I stated, but what's it look like for you to be joyful? You've got... Jesus born for you, and that message is the best news in the world. No matter what you're going through, it applies to you right now. And as you get jazzed up about the birth of Christ, and as it affects you and causes your heart to worship, what are you going to do with that worship? See, this is good news, and it's for our great joy, and it's so that we can give it to the joy, for the joy of other people. Can we pray? Father God, what a powerful, powerful set of verses that the most unlikely people in the world are the ones that you chose to show up and and reveal yourself to. And Lord, as we stand in line of that tradition, opening up the word today as unlikely people, Lord, let that message Affect us and change us. Let us see it today from a brand new light. Lord, we know Jesus. But yet, Lord, let it be new like it was the first day we ever heard about him. God, bring up in us a well of water that just will not quit. Lord, and if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus, God, I pray that you would win them over today that your mighty kingdom would come to reign in their life and in their heart, Lord, because you can do it. You can bring joy to all people. You can bring great joy. Doesn't depend on our circumstances. God, thank you for that. God, thank you that it doesn't depend on our circumstances. Happiness depends on my circumstances, but Lord, thank you for joy. God, you're amazing, and you've been too good to us. Amen.